Good morning. Take your Bibles, if you would. Turn to Luke chapter number 21. Luke chapter 21. Once you found that, then turn to Mark chapter number 12, verse number 40. You may have heard that we put our house on the market yesterday. I don't want you to get excited. I'm not leaving. Sorry to disappoint some of you. I'm still going to be here. Luke chapter number 21. Dr. John brought us a distinguished 19th century Baptist preacher and educator. On one of his memorial Sundays, uh, as the ushers were taking the offering, he left the platform and walked down to where the ushers were beginning to take the collection. And he went along with them and looked on every dime, nickel, and dollar that it went into the collection plate. You may well imagine that some of the people were upset, even angry. Some were confused, and some were shamefaced. Others filled with amazement. All were evidently surprised. When the collection was over, Dr. Broadus said, My people, if you take to heart that I have seen your offerings this day, and know just what sacrifices you made and what sacrifices you have not made, remember that the Son of God, your Savior, goes along the aisles with every usher and sees with his sleepless eyes every cent put into the collection by his people. He then reminded them of this truth by reading them the story of the widow's might. So if you would read with me Luke chapter 21 beginning in verse number one. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. And so he said, truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all of her livelihood that she had. In the parallel account, in Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse number 41, says, Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury, and many were rich, put in much. And then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which makes a quadrants, and so he called his disciples to himself, and he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that this poor widow has put in more than all these others who have given into the treasury. For they have all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had for her whole livelihood. Jesus chose the treasury as the place that he would give his final teaching before he left the temple forever. Jesus contrasts the, the phony goodness of the religious leaders with the true devotion of a poor widow. And with this great story, he gives us three great principles about giving. God cares about our giving. God cares about how we give it. And third, God cares how much we give. The first principle is God cares about our giving could also be entitled, God cares if we give. 
In that parallel account that we read in Mark, Mark chapter 12, verse 41, it says, now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the rich people put money into their treasury and many who were rich put in much. Mark gives us a picture of Jesus' concern for the treasury of the house of the Lord. Mark tells us that Jesus saw, or as the King James Version puts it, beheld. He saw or beheld what they gave. The word used here means to look at something with interest and purpose, usually indicating the careful observance of details. Of all the people that Jesus saw giving into the treasury that day, only one person impressed him. In spite of the fact that many of the rich put in much, he was not impressed. God is interested in our giving but God, because God has a plan for our giving. God's plan is called tithing. The principle, the word itself, tithe, in reality is a very simple word. It means one-tenth. The believer is expected to give one-tenth of his or her income to the Lord. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10, it says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Now I realize that the subject of money is a touchy one to some people, but it should not be. If the truth is known, those who become offended when tithing is taught are usually those who don't want to tithe anyway. We once had a family to lead this church, and when they were asked the reason, they said, all that preacher ever talks about is money. That disturbed me so much that I went back through my records to see what I had preached about that year, and I discovered that I had preached on tithing exactly one time. One time in the entire year. One of my favorite quotes about giving by Frank Hubbard, he said it this way. When a fellow says it ain't the money, it's the principle of the thing, it's the money. Because of the way some people react to the mention of money, many preachers are naturally gun shy about preaching on the subject. And if you're visiting with us this morning. We're talking about money this morning, not because our church is in a financial crunch, but because we study the Bible verse by verse. With all the shenanigans that the TV preachers have pulled in the last few years, some preachers are even more reticent to talk about money. Although Jesus had more to say about the subject of money than any other single subject. The awful truth was in 1984, Americans spent $177 million on gambling. That is 15 times more than they gave to their churches. George Barna, the church statistician, tells us, among adults who attend church regularly, let me just parenthesis this, 
He defines a person who, who attends church regularly as anyone who attends once a month. Now, I would have to argue with him a little about that, but that's his... He says, among ad adults who attend church regularly, at least once a month, out of every three, only one of them gives anything to the church in the last year. 37% give nothing. I can think of at least three or four good reasons why people do not tithe. First of all, some people do not tithe because they have not been taught to tithe. Some say that tithing is a part of the Old Testament law and that Christians are not bound by the Old Testament law. And that is true. The fact is, though, that tithing is 400 years older than the Old Testament law. Abraham offered a tithe of all that he had way back in Genesis chapter 14. Tithing was practiced before the law, under the law, and after the law in New Testament times. Some people... Secondly, do not tithe because they do not understand the importance of tithing. Or at least they say they don't. I suspect the reason that at least some of them don't tithe is they don't want to. And if that's the reason, that's fine. But at least be honest about it. When you go to the doctor for your annual checkup, he or she will often begin to poke and prod and press various places all the while asking the question, does that hurt? How about this? If you cry out in pain, one of two things will happen. Either the doctor has pushed too hard or something's not right. Or likely there's something wrong and the doctor will say, well, we better do some more tests. It's not supposed to hurt there. So it is when the pastor preaches on financial responsibility. Certain members cry out in discomfort, criticizing the message and the messenger. Either the pastor has pushed too hard or perhaps there's something wrong. In that case, I would say, my friend, you are in need of the great physician because it's not supposed to hurt there. Some people don't tithe, number three, because they have tried to tithe the wrong way. For many years as a young Christian, I wanted to tithe, but I tried to tithe off the bottom, not the top. It will never work. By that I mean, I would say, if I have enough left over after I paid all my bills and stuff, then I will tithe. I will tell you right now from personal experience, this philosophy does not work. To give God off the top is a step of faith. To trust him to provide for your needs. It is also to stop bargaining. Lord, you get us through this month and we'll give you what's left. And start trusting and saying, Lord, here's our love gift. Thanks for taking care of us. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4 speaks of setting aside at the first of the week what we plan to give. 
What we plan to give to God deserves priority. He should not receive our leftovers. As is all too common, the leftovers mysteriously shrink in size to take care of the things that really are not necessities. Number four, some people don't tithe because they refuse to do so, no matter what God says. I hope that doesn't describe you. The kind of person can be described by the story I heard of a notorious miser. The miser was called on by the chairman of a community charity. He said, sir, since the, said the man who was the fundraiser, our records show that despite your wealth, you have never once given to our drive. The man responded by saying, do your records show that I have an elderly mother who was left penniless when my father died? Do your records show that I have a disabled brother who is unable to work? Do your records show that I have a widowed sister with small children who can barely make her ends meet? No, sir, replied the volunteer. Our records don't show those things. He says, well, if I don't give anything to them, so why would they give anything to you? If you do not tithe, that is you give one-tenth of your income to the Lord that, to what God has blessed you with, then you are disobedient, plain and simple. You might respond by saying, but that's legalistic. Well, I think that you should be willing to apply that to all that same logic to all of your personal finances. Suppose when you receive your next paycheck, it's $50 short. And when you go to your employer, he says, well, don't be legalistic. It's only 50 bucks. Would that fly with you? No, I suspect not. First principle is God cares about our giving. Second principle God cares about how we give. Look again at that parallel passage in Mark 12, verse 41. And he saw how the people put the money into the treasury. The word that's translated how means in what way. There were 13 shofar chests in the temple. Brass trumpet-shaped receptacles. They were in the outer court, the women's court, in which one would leave their offering. And since there was no paper currency in those days, only coins, and the receptacles were all made of metal, quite a production could be made of giving one's offering. Imagine the sound of many coins hitting that brass receptacle. It probably sounded like those coin sorters in the bank. People brought their gifts to God, and God sat in the shadows, and he watched his people as they gave in his house. We can never escape the watchful eye of God. He sees us as we earn the money. He sees us as we determine what we will give to the Lord's work. He watches as we give that money, and he knows whether or not it is a tithe. I want to note a couple of things in conjunction with how we give to the Lord's work. When it comes to giving, the attitude of the heart makes all the difference. 
When I write a check for my taxes to the IRS, that governmental agency could care less about my hard attitude. The IRS doesn't care if I give grudgingly or willingly, joyfully, sadly. All the IRS is concerned about is the bottom line. Just pay up, but not so with the Lord. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, so let each one give as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Secondly, the kind of giving that impresses God is the giving that cost us. Of all who gave into the treasury on that day, only one person's offering impressed the Lord. Verse 3 of our text, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in their offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. We're told that this woman was not just a widow, she was a poor widow, which describes abject poverty, a pauper rather than a poor peasant. She is in very real danger of starvation. She puts in two mites, literally lepta, which means skinned or peeled because they are such small coins. They are the smallest coin made. Each, work, each coin are the coins together worth one one-hundredth of a denarius. That means the equivalent of five minutes work at minimum wage. But the gift, the amount of the gift, never matters so much as its cost to the giver. Not the size of the gift, but the sacrifice. As regards amounts, it's not true that she is given more than all. But in regards to personal sacrifice, it is. When it says she gave out of her poverty, poverty her whole livelihood, it conveys the, as the idea of the means by which life is sustained. All the others have given more, but they have not given sacrificially. They have given out of their abundance or their surplus. What they have, what they have given will never be missed, but she has given sacrificially. In the Old Testament, we see an example in the life of King David. David needed to make an offering for sin, to atone for his sin. He decided that he would need to buy the threshing floor of a man by the name of Aruna on which to build his altar. When David offered to buy the property, Aruna offered to give it to him. But not just the land, but everything he would need to make the sacrifice. On the surface, that may seem like a very attractive offer. But David responds by saying in, in 2 Samuel 24, 24, no, I will surely buy it from you for a price. And here's the important part. For I will not offer to God that which has cost me nothing. 
It is what these rich men were doing. And that's what you and I do sometimes when we give to God out of our surplus. I found the words of C.S. Lewis very convicting in this regard when he wrote, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid that the only safe rule is to give more than, the, than we think we can spare. In other words, if our expenditures for comforts, luxuries, and amusements is up to the standard common among those with the same income as ours, we probably are giving way too little. If what we give does not pinch or hamper us, I would say they are all too small. They ought to be times and things that we would like to do and cannot do because of our giving. The third principle is God cares how much we give. Jesus not only observed their giving and how they gave, he observed what they gave. He saw the rich people who came along and some of them put in rather large sums of money. And as they did, he did not say a word. He just kept watching. And then came along the poor widow and she drops in the two smallest coins available. It was not the amount that was important. It was the proportion. As Warren Warnsby says, when it comes to our giving, God sees more than the portion. He also sees the proportion. Men see what is given, but God sees what is left. And it is that by which he measures the gift and the condition of our hearts. Although what she was giving was not much in monetary value, she literally gave all that she had. Jesus could remain silent no longer, and he said she has given more than all the rest. Jesus said this because rather than comparing what one person gives against what another person gave, he compared what each person gave to what each person had. The rich people were giving a lot, but then they had a lot to give. There is no evidence that that woman ever knew what Jesus thought of her gift. There is no evidence that she ever became prosperous in this life because of what she gave. It is possible that she went home and starved to death but I don't think so, do you? I sincerely doubt it. What a surprise one day when she stood before the Lord and heard him say, I saw what you did and it thrilled my heart. Let me close by reading 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. Now I want to tell you, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done for the churches in Macedonia. Though they had been going through much trouble and hard times, their wonderful joy and deep poverty have overflowed in rich generosity. Wait a minute, what? Their wonderful joy and their deep poverty have overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. 
And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the gracious privilege of sharing in the gift for the church, the church in Jerusalem. Best of all, they went beyond our highest hopes for their first action was to dedicate themselves to the Lord. Let me repeat that last phrase. For their first action was to dedicate themselves to the Lord. God does not want your money. He wants you. And yet we cannot give ourselves to him completely apart from our money. It is true that money tells us where our hearts are. If Jesus watched you give, what would his opinion of your giving be? Let's pray. Father, I recognize that no matter what I say, it is a touchy subject to talk about finances, to talk about money. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us to look at our own hearts just as you saw all of those people in their giving, you did not compare one person against another person, but you compared what they had against what they gave. And you looked at the sacrifice that one person made. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us this morning, apply the truths in our lives that need to be applied. But first and foremost, Lord, we recognize that you want us. You want, some, you want our hearts. And if you have our hearts, then everything else will follow. Father, we just apply that, pray that you'd apply these truths in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We just